Jesus stood among them and said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. I'm Kara Cardell. And I'm Fred Schellebarger. And you're listening to My Lord and My God, Encountering Christ in the Eucharist. Today we have a very special guest with us, um, Father Travis Crotty. He is a podcasting friend, but also just a friend friend. Yes. Um, I met a real friend friend. Yes. Um, Like the kind you have coffee with, I guess, or invite to your house, or he invites himself to our house. It's a Catholic Northwest Iowa mashup in this episode, Kara. Yeah. To be fair, I invite myself to your house because your husband told me, you need to invite yourself to my house because I want to have you over, but I won't invite you to my house. So No, no, that's like an honest thing. That's an honest thing with families, though. Like, yeah. we want friends and adult friends, but also we have kids, and like that's your life, and yeah. so that's what you think of. So we did tell you that we're like, hey, invite yourself over to our house, and that's fine. And I always know <laughs> if I have, if I'm like, you know, wearing like some clerical like shirts for a couple days in a row, I will absolutely need to wash them after I go to your house with the two white huskies yeah oh yeah it's yeah. A, it's, yeah. it's a it's a it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm usually and they jump on you down for the yeah. count uh the black clothes are done when i see the yeah. huskies yeah. well we have their dog's hair at our house and <laughs> they've never been to our house like like our kids bring the, the yeah. hair with them but you will find enough enough sh- sasha and wrigley hair around our house mm-hmm. to craft another dog if you yeah, like third dog exactly so, yeah, yeah so. it's fine. Uh, but we're really excited to have you. Uh, one thing that we're trying to do with my Lord and my God is, yeah, we're teaching on the Eucharist. And so some of those things are intellectual and scriptural, but we want to break those up with encounters that people have had with Jesus in the Eucharist and sharing other people's testimonies. Because I think for many reasons, but I think honestly, like as Catholics, we don't do that enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not all like we're not all comfortable talking about how did I encounter God in my life? How did I encounter God yesterday? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not something that we're like always in tune to and we want to share. So we want to get in the habit of sharing like, you know, average Catholic. Yes, you're a priest, but you're also just, you know, an average Catholic father. Mm -hmm. Average Catholics, like their encounter with Jesus and their testimonies to kind of encourage us to like see our our own encounters. Father, that's one thing I've seen a lot that we don't talk about enough. Like I, I gave a talk uh, months ago before we started the show and I asked people that question, how has your encounter with Christ in the Eucharist changed your life? And there was this long pause and where nobody said anything. Uh, I think they were processing the question, but then one very sweet old lady said, well, that's why we need people like you to tell us. But it made me sad. Like it, it hurt for her. It made me sad because I can't tell you how, how you, your yeah. encounter with Christ in the Eucharist has changed your life. That That's you and only you. And, and no Catholic speaker, no Catholic podcaster can tell you how your encounter with Christ in the Eucharist has changed your life. But that's what he invites you into, and, and that should be the fruit. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the foundation for the show, and that's kind of what we're going to dive into here talking with you today. I'm excited for that. I was grateful when you guys even propose the question of what's my experience been of God like present in the Mm -hmm. sacrament of the Eucharist. Um, As both of you know, I've talked about it briefly before, but I've been following the lay movement in the church community liberation for the past like eight months. And other Jasani talks and not to get in the weeds on that at all, but this is exactly the question that inspired the movement is how am I meeting Jesus through my experiences? 
right? Mm-hmm. He like saw these guys in the fifties, all these seminarians he was teaching, realizing that they know a lot about Jesus. They know a lot about the church. They know a lot about the sacraments, but am I encountering him? Do I, can I say you to my experience and say, see God and say you, and the more I yeah. say you, the more I receive my own like identity. So yeah, I'm excited mm-hmm. to yeah. talk about awesome. this. Good. So with that, then, um, I kind of want to ask questions from the context of both, like before you were a priest and when you were younger, and if you want to share things I'm as a priest too. I've only been a priest for two and a half years, so that's I'm happy true. To share that's from true. both, yeah. <laughs> okay, so to start, uh, for people who might not know who you are, oh, yeah. who are you? My name is Father Travis Crotty. I am Wonderful. priest for the Diocese of Sioux City. I'm the vocations director and the chaplain of a high school in Sioux City, Bishop Healing. I am from a little tiny town in the middle of our diocese called Verina. I always joke, my uncle was the mayor, my grandpa was the mayor, uh, but I gave up the dream because I became a priest. Gave up, gave up the family business. Gave up the family the business, mayor. yeah. I had the claim to the inheritance there. So <laughs> You have the claim to the in- heavenly inheritance now. So. I hope so. It's like so. Peter and Andrew, he got out of the boat. I got out of the, the family business. <laughs> yeah. behind. The family business. You left of, your father's trade. Of, of like, a, I don't even know what the you know small stipend that you receive in Verina, Iowa for being the mayor, but <laughs> I gave up that the worldly goods of that. It's a population of like 78 people, correct? It, well, my family moved, so it's like 72 now or something, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's nice. it's very, very tiny. I think it's important that I say that. That's where I grew up in the context of my encounter with, with God in my in the context of my family. My parents were high school sweethearts, so like all of my family was really close. Everybody was cradle Catholics. Um, I had a little teeny tiny parish, St. Columkills, in the Irish town of Verina. So I would serve mass like every weekend. There was like three kids in the town. Well, <laughs> there were three crowdy boys, my two brothers and I, and then like two other kids. So one of us was serving mass and I was the oldest one. So mm-hmm. I was con- I was like constantly serving mass, constantly serving funerals at my home parish and, and then the next parish over. Um, I was in Catholic grade school until it closed when I was in fifth grade. And then I was in public school. Um, but yeah, I was very familiar with like church life. I was very familiar with a Catholic milieu of the sacraments. Um, but I think like so many of us, it was pretty like, there was pretty surface level. It was like pray before meals, pray before bed. Like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> you probably have to get like forced to pray the rosary at like a funeral vigil or something like that. Like once, a, w- once or twice a year uh, from my experience and then going to mass every Sunday and I served a lot. So I was really close to the priest and the vessels and everything. I didn't start thinking about the priesthood until I was in high school till I was a sophomore in high school. And I eventually ended up going to college seminary nine years later. Um, I was ordained a priest in the middle of COVID 2020. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nobody could come to your ordination. No, it was a bummer. And I was like yeah. riding high on the grace of ordination until I started going to other guys ordinations the last couple of years, last couple of summers. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. I really missed that. Hey, we watched yeah. yours though on TV. So, many so you did. know, people did. You know, yeah. some people did. And I've been running into people in parishes all over the diocese and they tell me that, Hey, I watched your yeah. ordination, mm-hmm. which is really good. Yeah. That is. Yeah. That's cool. So yeah, I'm I am a homegrown like rural Iowa priest, um, and now I've been asked to yeah help accompany men in the process of application to the seminary and all the other things that get me yeah. driving across the diocese in the country. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so not um not asking about like what led you to the priesthood. That's yeah. I want to ask you. What was your first real encounter with Christ? Because, you know, you you said, I served all the time and I went to Catholic school. That's kind of the same thing. Father Kokali, is that his name? Uh-huh. Uh, that's Kukali, kind yeah. of, yeah, that's kind of the same thing that he was saying. Like, you know all the things, but like, can you, can you call 
Jesus like a personal oh, name? Sorry. You know, do you have that no, relationship? Father, Father Giussani. Father Sean Capali is a wonderful guy from Lincoln. Father Giussani is this priest who started this movement. But you're right, exactly. Father Giussani. Nice. Okay, yes. With a, little, um, with a little Italian flair. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. And this is why we need video so people can see Kara's. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Don Giussani. Yes, exactly right. All right. Okay. Uh, so what was your encounter with him that took all of those things that you were doing and made them like actual real, actually real and personal? Yeah. Father Giussani said that Christ bumped into his life. And I think it's true. It was true for me too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, obviously objectively, I can look back now and say that Jesus was doing a lot of work through my baptism and all these different like moments that I wasn't paying attention to. But when I think I became most attentive to it, it was probably through the suffering of my parents' divorce when mm -hmm. I was in eighth grade. That was the first time I remember like crying out to God. That was more than just kind of um, like the distance that God had of like, okay, God's God's present uh, church is kind of this moment where maybe we become a little bit more present or I become a little bit more attentive or aware of his presence. But yeah, that first experience of like real suffering, um, I'd experienced like the awkwardness and insecurities of like growing up as like a kid or whatever, not being picked for sports teams or whatever. But like that was the first time I remember in the context of those like really just kind of volatile years of tension in my family, crying out to God one night, not necessarily like feeling an immediate like uh, res response. But then I look back now and like what, what followed was him encountering me as I was encountering uh, my own suffering. Right. Because the Eucharist took on like a new meaning at that time um, in my life. I had a lot of non-Catholic Christian friends, a lot of Baptist friends, and I would go to the youth group all the time because my little parish didn't have any sort of active youth group. Like not, not Catholic youth groups? Uh, yeah, I would go to this okay. Protestant youth group at a Baptist church with all my buddies. Um, and it was yeah. wonderful. That was my first exposure to praise and worship. And we'd go to different, uh, this is, I never went to a Steubenville conference when I was in high school until I graduated. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was my experience it was a lot of, was a lot of Protestant praise and worship and it was good. But I think what started to like show the discrepancy was that, okay, they were, they didn't have the sacraments and my Protestant friends started to push back on me a little bit. Sometimes just like, like yeah. subtly the youth minister one time a little bit more intensely when he told me, you're not a Christian, you're a Catholic. So yes, <laughs> we were just having this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. We just had, yeah. that was stirring something up in me that yeah. partially was like intellectual partially was this like conviction of like, no, I've received something. Like I believe yeah. this I've received, like I had my great grandma lived to be 101, <laughs> uh, who was oh, wow. one might say the matriarch of that family business of the, uh, you know, <laughs> mayors, the mayor of, producing. Of, the mayors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. She kind of started it all. But, um, I just remember like the clear and strong faith, like my great, great grandparents are buried in the cemetery that I mowed when I was in high school. Right. So there's just this feeling of like, I am rooted here, like in this ground, yeah. in this parish, this is part of me. So when the, my Protestant friends were kind of pushing back, it, it made me ask this question, which then made the mass in the context, tying these two things together, the context of like real suffering. And in the context mm -hmm. of like being like kind of kind of pressured by my friends, it was like the mass in my experience of the Eucharist was like in the middle of those two things. It was consistent. It was every Sunday. And most of the time I was serving and then I was serving all these funerals, especially in high school. So I don't know if I can point to like a specific day, but I do remember like a growing awareness or a growing recognition in the midst of my like just time serving mass, like a growing awareness of his presence. 
I, I do remember one time sitting in the pew with my family, probably the one time in my life I wasn't serving when I was a kid, and approaching like approaching communion in the communion procession line with this just new kind of, I don't know, revelation or awareness in my mind, in my heart that, God, is this is if this is you, like, this changes something. Yeah. This is you. This changes something for me. Um, so there wasn't any, like, massive, profound thing, but there was this growing recognition, which which then led me to, like, really really go to confession more. Um, right. So I think like, so like literally everybody, um, so many Catholics, right. It's like you go to confession twice a year, Advent and mm-hmm. Lent, either you're brought there during your Catholic school experience or, you know, your faith formation night of confession. I just helped out at a, one the other night and yeah, confession wasn't really that important for me. It was in the context of one of those confession nights. I talked to my pastor about thinking about the priesthood, but I started seeking him out like before mass, like, and really wanted to mm-hmm. root out some of the mortal sins that were present in my life because I realized like, wait, I want to have a, a relationship with God who's, who's trying to meet me here. I didn't have all yeah. that language that I'm using right now, but that was this, like, that was the sentiment. That was the feeling that was happening in me. What I like about all of that is that it started with suffering and then being challenged in your faith. Like, I feel like so often it's easy to go the opposite route where you're like, I don't think that there's a God because I'm going through this suffering Yeah. or when we're challenged. Like I experienced a lot of being challenged in the Catholic faith in college um, because I did the same thing. Like I would go to college nights that were at a Protestant church uh, because I liked the praise and worship and I liked getting to know other people who liked God. And I remember um, I stopped going because I was like, I kind of need to be doing stuff with the Catholic church. And the, um, the youth pastor, the college pastor reached out and we went and got coffee. And like the first thing he asked was, what do you believe about salvation? Mm. You know, uh, and and like I remember going to uh, sit down around the fire and like everyone was telling their encounters, their first encounters with Jesus. And mine was in adoration. So I was like, they obviously now know I'm Catholic. And where everyone else was getting like, you know, questions and like, oh, that's so wonderful how God is working, blah, blah, blah. Just got shut down. I, I was asked. Oh, you're Catholic. What do you believe about faith and works? I was oh, like, I go yeah. right for the council. Of right. Bang, yes. Bang. And so like, yeah. so like I was challenged and I feel like a lot of times when that happens, it's easy to be like, if I don't have the answer, it means it's not true. And instead I feel, and I see this in your own story, mm-hmm. like you go and you find the answers and it leads you to an even deeper relationship with the Catholic church. And in your case, it led you to an even deeper relationship that led you to the priesthood. Um, so I think that's so cool that, mm. you know, God was working in your life in that way. And like the, into, like desiring to know the intellectual things led you to stay in like a deeper fervor in the Catholic church. Yeah. And I look back now and I've, I mean, I've told my vocation story like countless times and that sort of pressure from my non-Catholic friends was such a catalyst for like a conversion. Like it, yeah. you know, it like sparked a conversion in me. It sparked this process of conversion but that was obviously a grace. Like that was, that was Jesus bumping into my life and he was encountering me because it wasn't something I just like was so conscious of. Like, um, my brothers, you know, experienced the same like suffering at different ages and like they both have left the faith like pretty intentionally. Right. And so it's interesting. I look back and I'm like, well, why, yeah. Why did I get kind of like nudged down a certain path, you know, like, mm. and what was that? Well, that was, I can say that in a real way. Like that was grace. That was God. Yeah. acting in my life and praise God, I had the openness to, to respond there. Um, right. I, maybe just like going the other way, Kara, like you were talking about, like, where is it hard as well? Like mm-hmm. 
I think I've definitely experienced more, um, uh, I don't want to say like outright doubt, but like I've definitely experienced more moments, uh, before ordination and since ordination of like struggling to believe that, that Jesus was present in the Eucharist than just this like yeah. clear experience. F- Fulton Sheen, I love him, but his like book sometimes he just writes so definitively. Mm-hmm. He's like, he has this in his autobiography. He was like, one time I struggled with a doubt of the faith. He's like, then I went to a spiritual conference at the seminary. He's like, and I never doubted the faith again. You're like, okay. <laughs> I, yeah, if only he also said like one time I fell asleep in a holy hour and, and I decided never to do that again. I'm like, whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> such <right>. discipline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I even remember in the context of, of, of that experience of high school, I didn't have these big doubts because of my Protestant friends. I think I just leaned in deeper of like what my received tradition was. Um, but then even stepping into that first summer before I went to seminary, two things important happened. I was going to daily mass in the town where I was working at a, like a t-shirt printing place. Um, and then I was, then I went to a Steubenville conference for the first time um, mm-hmm. and, and probably encountered like encountered a real experience of adoration uh, in a, at a Steubenville conference. <laughs> the only other time I had experienced adoration was the like, it was like a, like a Friday in Lent with stations of the cross and exposition of the blessed sacrament. I was asked, I was a fifth grader and I was asked to help like serve it, like walk around with the cross and candles or whatever. And we got done to the station of the cross and we sat down in the front pew and there was, I remember my great grandma had told me the word monstrance before and pointed to the mm-hmm. big black case thing once. And I was like, I have, I don't know what that means, but that's a thing. Yeah. And we were sitting there and the <laughs> deacon hadn't had like supper yet or something. And his stomach was growling the entire time. <laughs> And that's what you took away. <laughs> All, I sat there. My buddy and I were on both sides of him. We're fifth graders. And we were just like looking at each other. And it was just like the whole entire time. And he gets done. He goes, wow, I guess I was pretty hungry, huh? And we're like, what was that? And it was such a long period of silence that wasn't so silent, right? So yeah. I, a lot of it wasn't It wasn't super clear. You know, but then I stepped into college seminary, which was like an experience of daily mass, weekly mm-hmm. adoration, mm-hmm. you know, daily like holy hours prayed in a chapel without exposition, but still just like constantly surrounded by chapels with tabernacles. Um, Mm -hmm. So then that took on a new experience of familiarity, which familiarity kind of not breeds contempt. It just like familiarity, like takes away some of the shock and awe of it. And it becomes a normal part of your life for granted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, So then it was like, yeah, nine years of my life in seminary formation was, was daily mass was lots of time in the chapel. Um, but there was a few moments that still kind of stick out throughout my life then that even in the midst of kind of like not like big, powerful, like bursts of emotion, but a mm-hmm. growing recognition that my like, as I was being formed intellectually, as I was being formed in prayer, that my like reason, like my mind and my heart could sometimes like help me in the midst of having feelings that weren't so like profound, if that makes sense. That's just been, I've, mm-hmm. more I've worked with high school students, I know that that's a huge point of maturity when you can grow that you're not just kind of governed by what you feel. Right. Um, Cause there's right. lots of days where I don't feel God's presence or when you like wake up, yeah. I don't know why it's something about when we're sleeping, you wake up and you're like, is God real? And then you like shake off the sleep and you're just like, Oh yeah. 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 Like, Duh. you know, yeah. which you have to yeah. sometimes, yeah, you find yourself in that spot. But I remember one time in the context of uh, being a totus to missionary over the summer, you know, my encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist was so tied to his call toward the priesthood uh, in, in seminary, especially remember teaching totus to us. We were at doing the camp one year, uh, for totus to us. And we were in adoration, just the teachers, Carrie, you might've been there. It could have been one of those years, but I remember looking at the, at the host in the monstrance and having this, this conviction of wanting to respond 
to Jesus who was present before me and like really wanting to respond to him. Um, so yeah, that was another kind of profound moment of like in the midst of just kind of, I don't know, a status quo of not being super, uh, profoundly impacted by his presence in my life. Like, yeah, was, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was one of those times. Okay. So I know that it can be like easy when you have those experiences of always going to mass or, or now even celebrating it and, and being the one who's consecrating, um, for people who might not get those experiences or if they do get those experiences, they see it as like mundane or ritualistic or whatever. Yeah. How is, how is the mass or adoration something that is meant to propel us forward in the spiritual life and not Mm. something like if people don't get that experience from mass, you know, Mm. what, what might you say to them? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's true for me too. The, the mass might, I wonder sometimes if it's harder for a priest. Uh, Yeah. The thought can be that, it's easier for priests to to pray in the context of the Eucharist or to have a deeper faith that Jesus is present at Mass. Maybe for some guys it's true. I know for me, the reality of celebrating Mass, of presiding at the liturgy, of inviting others into prayer, it always like calls me on. It, it calls me to a deeper faith. I don't always respond to that. It calls me to right. a deeper faith, but it also like inserts me right into the like paradox that is like the incarnation and the sacramental life of the church. Uh, That paradox for me is like what I think everybody has to like wrestle with, with the sacraments that God as mystery is hidden. He's veiled, but he, he reveals himself like gradually according to my way of receiving. Right. Yeah. So I think the struggle like with the young kids I encounter all the time is it's like, why, why can't it just be more clear? Like, why can't it just be more obvious? Like, if God was present in these sacraments, why wouldn't it just be so apparent? Like, why would it be this weird veiled thing where it looks like bread and wine, but it's mm-hmm. not, but there's mm-hmm. these Eucharistic miracles. And why is it? Cause so nobody's going to sit there and eat flesh. Like that yeah. would be even harder for us. Yeah. yeah. And Augustine and Ambrose, like they, they dig into that too, or they're, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I think what's that paradox is that I, I, it hits me so often in the context of praying in front of the tabernacle or in like, exposition or whatever, the monstrance, the host, this paradox that God has become so vulnerable before, before me, um, because he wants to be with me. Like, that's what, Mm -hmm. that's what's like, that's what's so profound about it. And I think that's what could be a beautiful invitation for just anybody, any like Catholic who, who is at mass is that we're invited into that wild, um, the the liturgy the Eucharist invites us right in the midst of the uh, the imminence and the transcendence of God like both I wrote a paper once on the transfiguration and just like people I pulled out it was like transfiguration is this wild mystery where it's like you've got the the transcendence of God who's totally beyond our like comprehension but then he's right there in front of you right and then the Eucharist yeah. is the same thing it's this it's this wild ascent of the will and uh, of mind and faith to say like this is God who's before me in what looks like bread. But then it's this wild intimacy that says he wants to be with me. He wants to be with me so much that he's given himself to me in, a, in the way that I can receive him the most intimately. Right. Uh, like I find myself stuck in that paradox often that this is, this is the transcendent God who's, who's created me, who's given me this infinite destiny and longing, but then who actually gives himself to me to like start to fill that up. Um, right. And you use the word vulnerable. I like that because that's what it is. God yeah. becomes bread. Like we have a whole episode about God's act of humility in that. That's yeah. Condescension, beautiful. as the fathers say. Yeah. 
Yeah. When we were doing this parish mission in St. Louis, we had the task of Sunday and attending four different masses and uh, you know, inviting everyone to come to attend the parish mission. And we got to see the life of a priest. It felt like firsthand in terms of celebrating the mass. Like it was an interesting thing because I found myself wondering, wow, how does Father Andrew give the same homily, do the same thing four times all day? How do you maintain that reality of encounter with Christ in the Eucharist as a priest celebrating mass so often, so often? Mm. Because And the reason I ask that is because I hear so many people say, we've heard this recently uh, from others, and I know you've heard it a lot, I don't get anything out of the Mass. So, like, how would you... Mass is boring. Mass is boring. Knowing it's an encounter with Christ in the Eucharist, how would you speak into that drawing from your experience as a priest? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I was texting both of you recently, like, finding, like, a a random chalice veil that I was, like, so excited to put on this... (laughs) Sorry, tabernacle (laughs) veil on this tabernacle. And I say that because... A lot of the kind of um, ornamentation or trappings or whatever of the rituals, of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The stuff that kind of hangs on the side of it that literally hangs is like a tabernacle veil. But the stuff yeah. that kind of is is alongside. A lot of people can look at that and say like, that's just really superfluous. Like, all you need is two candles. Why would you have six? All you need is like an owl. Why do you care that there's like, I don't know, lace on it or it's this certain quality? Right. Or like, you have chasubles. Why do you need the one that's like kind of, I don't know, fancy and nice or like. Um, you guys will both go to the cathedral liturgies a lot and it's like incense isn't necessary. Why do you use it? The bells aren't necessary. Why do you use it? Right. So like a lot of us grew up with a kind of a, a stripped down mm-hmm. experience of mass. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed recently myself as a priest ha- getting to celebrate mass, at the cathedral here often and developing my own, what the church kind of has referred to in Latin as ars celebrandi, the art of celebrating the mass. I think you guys can like intuit that as, as lay people that, there's, there's a difference in how different priests celebrate mass. I mean, it's the same ritual. It's the same thing, but you can tell when a man is praying, you can tell when a man is like just trying to get through it. You can tell when a man Mm -hmm. is trying to sort of like perform in the context of mass, right? That was kind of like a trying to engage the people so much. So I think Fred, in response to that question, it's been the development of a certain art of celebrating mass that has in some ways, like when I preach, (laughs) I've got a big personality Right. I've, yeah, I, and I really, I do enjoy preaching, but I I try to draw a distinction in my, my own experience between preaching and celebrating mass. Like I'm going to go to the altar and I'm going to stand in the person of Christ wearing vestments, not myself, but also myself. And I'm going to pray. I'm really going to pray because like I need this too. And I'm really just trying to invite people into prayer with me. Like that's my goal as the presider at mass is to lead others in prayer I guess that would be my invitation then to, to like, to lay people the most beautiful masses I've celebrated. One of the most beautiful masses was at the Iowa state Newman center. And it was like an evening mass in the middle of the week. And it was so beautiful because everyone, all these college students wanted to be there. There was an mm-hmm. optional mass in the middle mm-hmm. of the week. They're all like really like primed up in this like really tender spot of discernment and maturation in their faith as disciples. And like, it was so palpable that they were participating in the sacrifice of the mass with me, it helped me pray. And it, then I think it just kept like being a cyclical experience where as they helped me pray, I think my Ars Celebrani helped them pray. And it was just this beautiful dialogue as the mass is meant to be the Lord be with you and with your spirit, this constant back and forth. What's right. so disheartening and one of the hardest times to celebrate mass is with a bunch of people who absolutely don't care. 
think what's been a shift in me that I recognized from even high school, a lot of us American Catholics have a very, very like Protestant take on mass. Music is this place where I worship God or like where I'm like sort of engaged, right? And then it's like, and I'm showing up for some sort of like good preaching, yeah. which if anything, like Catholic preaching needs to improve. But the whole point it is like, it's not the main point that you go to mass. Um, right. Homily's optional like every day, but Sunday, you know? So what's the point? And then the, the council is trying to offer this invitation to full conscious, active participation <laughs> in the sacrifice of Jesus on the altar. And it's like, I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to live that. And my hope is that the more I can live that authentically as a priest standing at the altar, the more authentically you guys as the, like the lay people in the pews can also experience full conscious, active uh, participation. Yeah. Right. Well, I think we are really close to being out of time. So really quick, I want you to answer the question. So how has your encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist impacted your faith life? <laughs> it's like such a huge question. I know. Um, <laughs> really, quick, question, like, really quick. Like, just no, <laughs> my gradual and deepening understanding of Jesus's presence in the Eucharist has, has given me a greater awareness of his presence in my life. Mm-hmm. Like that this is a concrete place, mass before I was a priest and now as a priest where God is breaking through and he's knocking at the door of my heart and he's invited mm-hmm. me to make a response. That awareness there has opened up a greater awareness in the rest of my life. That's great. Thanks. Awesome. Love it. Well, thank you for being our guest. It was really great to talk to you. And Jesus is always trying to encounter us in the Eucharist. And we have to be aware of how he's doing that. Amen. Thank you.